Legend has it that as Notre Dame's football coach, Newt Rockne, was about to face the University of Southern California, a far superior team, he hit on this idea. He scoured the city of South Bend, Indiana, and found about 100 men, each at least six foot five and weighing 300 pounds or more. He put them all in Notre Dame uniforms, and when it was time for the game to begin, he sent these men out of the locker room first. As the USC team watched, they just kept coming and coming and coming until these hundred men were all the USC team saw. And the USC coach kept telling his men they can only field 11 at a time. But the damage was done. None of these men ever played one minute of the game. But USC had become so intimidated at the sight of them that they were unable to function well, and Notre Dame won the game. Goliath, the Philistine, is described in such a way that if we were to see him, we too would feel intimidated by his size. But there's more than just his size. He's fully armed, and his armor alone weighs more than I do. Given the details, we understand why the Israelite army finds Goliath a formidable enemy. Imagine a football game between Virginia Tech and Virginia Western. Or imagine yourself in the boxing ring with Mike Tyson. Not only is this warrior terrifying to see, he taunts King Saul and the Israelite army and shakes their confidence even more. They have dispelled all hope for winning this battle. We don't have today a giant Philistine taunting us. But of course, there are other giants from which we just as soon run as fight. Like the Israelite army, we find giants and allow them to intimidate us, to take control of our emotions and our actions. There are people who intimidate us, people who seem to know more than we do, who seem more talented than we are, who seem to hold hostage our courage and strength and ability to say anything intelligible while we're in their company. There are also situations that intimidate us. When we are doing something for the first time, we often feel intimidated. There are even topics that intimidate us. Topics that are important to talk about if we are to have healthy relationships, but we still find it difficult to talk openly and honestly about sexuality, about death, about finances. Intimidating giants abound. As the giant Philistine bullies the Israelite army with his insults, a young, handsome shepherd arrives to deliver provisions to his older brothers. 
When this David hears the giant taunting his brothers and the rest of the gathered army, he does not exhibit the same fear. Now, we might attribute that to his youth or his inexperience on the battlefield. But the story, as it's told, beckons us in a different direction. David, in the words that are quoted, brings a new presence to the battlefield. The living God. In verse 26 of this chapter, David demands to know who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Not the armies of Saul, but the armies of the living God. Well, there are times, too, when we go through our days feeling overwhelmed, like the disciples did on the stormy sea when Jesus was asleep in the helm. We feel overwhelmed, we feel defeated, we feel uncertain as to how we're going to move forward, and sometimes even whether we'll be able to move forward. The odds seem stacked against us. At times like this, it helps to hear a story about someone who beats the odds, a story of hope, a story of God's faithfulness. We need a David to pop in and remind us that God is not dead, that the living God is empowering us to do things we never thought possible. And the reason we never thought they were possible is because there's no way that we could do them under our own power. Sometimes we need a David to pop into our lives. Other times we need to be a David to someone else who is feeling overwhelmed and fearful of the future. Consider David again as he told King Saul out in the grasslands as a young sheep herder that when a lion or bear would attack the flock, David would go after the predator fearlessly. David says, Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. And then he adds this testimony of salvation. The Lord, who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will save me from the hand of this Philistine. Now where does David get such strength, such boldness, such fearlessness? Why is he not intimidated by something that is so obviously bigger and seemingly more dangerous than he is? David drives home the point that even when a situation appears intimidating and overwhelming, we have unseen resources that will help us win our battles. Remember King Saul tried to get David to wear his armor, but it didn't fit. 
was too big. And David would have been easy to kill outside of his comfort zone. The world's armor doesn't fit Christians either. David offers a radical alternative. It's an alternative that is true to who he is. It's armor-free, but it is not weapon-free. He draws on his experience and carries with him a sling and five stones. Perhaps like you, when I was a kid, my dad taught me to pick how to pick smooth stones and skip them across the surface of the water. David learned to do something different with smooth stones. With practiced good aim, a sling is a lethal weapon. And when David uses his sling, the first stone finds its mark. Down goes the giant. Indeed, the Lord who saved David from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear saved him from the hand of the Philistine. Saved. God is in the business of saving, of salvation. David may have had no experience with giants, but he had other experiences that helped him face and conquer this new challenge with confident faith. To any outsider, the situation appears overwhelming. But to David, since Goliath was trash-talking God, he was a predator who deserved death. Just as God had saved David from the lion and the bear, David believed God would give him a victory again. So I wonder if sometimes we too use inappropriate weapons and armor to fight our giants. I wonder if too often we try to do things under our own power, our own steam, with our own individual abilities and talents and our own individual minds. And maybe our goals are individualistic as well. I wonder about that as for us as a church. This vision statement and strategic plan that we'll discuss and vote on later today are designed to get us working toward a singular goal. One which we pray is spirit-led and which we can do only with the help of God. Can't do it ourselves. If we are overly concerned with our own abilities, with our own time availability, with our own interests, that will be visible to those who enter this congregation. If we have a common goal, though, to grow closer to Christ and closer to each other and to serve God in whatever ways we're called, wow, that will show too. People who walk in these doors who have never been here before 
will sense God's presence among us. Now, while we admire David's faith, there is a cynical side to most, if not all of us, and so we can't help but wonder whether his youth really did make him naive to the point of stupidity and whether that first sling was just a lucky shot. We wonder whether God will save us from the giant difficulties we face as caregiving children, as parents, as co-workers, as partners, as church members. When the enemy looks formidable, let us not first ponder how until we ponder who. And when we ask who will get us through this situation, let our first thought not be me or even the people around me, but God. God will either use the experiences we have and the wisdom that we have gained from them, Or God will help us learn what we need to know. God saves us. This is salvation. The church often talks about salvation in terms of eternal life and how that is best known through Jesus Christ. Being saved and being with God after we die is one form of salvation. But there's another And that is salvation here and now. A little girl had a problem. She was worried because her brother had built some traps to catch rabbits. She loved rabbits and didn't want any of them to be hurt or killed in her brother's traps. She tearfully begged her brother not to use the traps, but he, being a brother, refused to change his plans. The little girl chose another course of action. And she was able to sleep well that night with a quiet confidence that God would protect the rabbits from her evil brother. Later she explained, I prayed that God wouldn't let those cute little rabbits get caught in those cruel traps. And then I went outside and broke the traps into a million pieces. Say a prayer and then act on it. When we take off our man-made armor and work toward being the people God has created us to be, even with our questions, even with our failures, even with our vulnerabilities, we are being saved. A woman was at a nursery to buy some plants for her front yard when she saw this sign there. It said, the best time to plant a tree was 15 years ago. The second best time is today. If you have struggled with faith in the past, you're not alone. If you think the odds are against you, 
you're not alone. If you're facing a giant or 12, you're not alone. And that's the key. You're not alone. If you regret not deciding to follow Jesus in the past, the second best time to plant your faith is today. Most of us would not be here today if we had not struggled with our faith and then arrived at the conclusion that we need to be at a Christian church with other seekers and other sinners, thanking and worshiping not the dead God, but the living God. It's a radical alternative, just as David chose this faithful living is. And when we do it together, the odds flip around and they land in our favor forever. Let's pray. God of love, God of gifts, God of talents, God of experience, and God of wisdom. Like David, we want to put our trust in you, to see how you have saved us in the past, and how you will save us from the giants that face us each day. Lord, help us to live faithfully. Help us to watch for you and let you guide us so that all that we do can be for your sake and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.